no! Out of cereal? Tribbles, you'll never run out of cereal again. Tribbles is the only cereal with self-replication, so the fun never stops, and neither do the Tribbles. There's a prize at the bottom of each box. <laughs> Not that you'll ever get to the bottom. Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome to our year-end episode of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Well, you know what I'm excited about is this is our year-end episode, but as we get into 2020, maybe maybe I should talk about this at the end of the show, but I'm going to talk about it now. Um, we, we should likely have more of these because oh, yeah. we have a season of Picard, we've got a season of Discovery, and is the animated series coming out next year? I think so. Yeah, so we've got a lot of Trek to talk about next year. So we'll, we'll probably get these out a, a bit more frequently because there will be things to talk about. Yeah, in fact, uh, uh, you can expect a, a mid-January episode as uh, the first episode of Star Trek Picard hits uh, right around, I want to say, between the 15th and the 18th, something like that. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, wish, I should probably know that, considering I'm on a Star Trek podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's coming, <laughs> it's, it, it's coming soon. I mean, it, it felt like so long ago. That this uh, show was uh, was uh, announced, but man, it's right here on us. And yeah. you know, all the January twenty images... third is oh. is the exact date. January twenty third, twenty twenty. That's pretty exciting. It's pretty. It exciting. is. Yeah, I, I I am really looking forward to it. I the I have, I've really enjoyed the images coming off of the set and the mm-hmm. you know trailers that we've seen. Uh, looks like a pretty sharp show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the prequel to Picard later on in this show. Exactly. Well, and, you know, here we are at the very end of the year 2019, and uh, we have lost some uh, icons in the Star Trek uh, world, uh, not the least of which is DC Fontana, who is who was a writer producer uh, from the original series on. You know, she worked on uh, the original series. She was key in launching uh, the Next Generation. She wrote on Deep Space Nine. She wrote for the animated series. Uh, DC Fontana uh, was eighty years old when she passed away this year, and she has written some of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek, not the least of which being the original series episode Journey to Babel, in which uh, she writes Amanda and Sarek, Spock's parents, creates two key characters um, uh, for the Star Trek universe. Um, She wrote uh, Yesteryear, the animated series episode where Spock goes back in time to to uh, where we get to see what baby, what little Spock was like, <laughs> uh, you know, creating, creating the phenomenon that would become baby Yoda. We get to see baby Spock, 
you know, because Baby Spock is clearly what uh, Baby Yoda is based on. Oh, yeah, uh, clearly. Yeah, clearly. Ears and everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, I, I will say you can, you can uh, you know, not everything she ever did was was uh, awesome. I mean, she did co-write uh, Encounter at Farpoint, which is um, – one of the worst things I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, she also wrote Dax, the the first episode that, of Deep Space Nine that really focused on the character of Dax in which Curzon, a, a prior host of Dax, is uh, put on trial for allegedly having uh, murdered someone. Uh, DC Fontana had had a big role in shaping what we know as Star Trek today, and uh, I am I am sad to say that uh, I never got to meet her at a convention or anything. But she ha- her fingerprints have been all over Star Trek. Um, we also lost Aaron Eisenberg this year. Uh, he was fifty mm-hmm. years old, died of uh, a heart condition. Uh, Aaron Eisenberg played Nog on Deep Space Nine. And to you know, everything that I've ever read about him was just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. Uh, he also, uh, in addition to playing Nog on uh, Star Trek, he played a, char- a guest character on Voyager. Um, he had been uh, uh, a, in addition to his credits as an actor in the Star Trek universe, he had been on a number of other of other projects. Uh, Prior to and after Star Trek, and hold on, I've got that right here. Um, whoops, there we go. He had been in Tales from the Crypt, uh, Parker Lewis Can't Lose, The Wonder Years. Uh, he was in The Secret World of uh, Alex Mack, Star Trek Voyager, uh, Brother Love, Brave New World. I mean, just tons of stuff that, that he was in. Um, he, but he was also a photographer and had his own art gallery for his uh, photographs. Uh, I It was great seeing him in What We Left Behind, the Star Trek Deep Space Nine documentary that uh, released to theaters earlier, earlier this year. And in what's really a weird coincidence is in the season eight proposed pilot – that uh, the writers' room in the documentary put together, you know, for you know, if we ever got to do a season eight, uh, had Nog's character dying in that uh, in that yeah. pilot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a little spooky in how uh, in, in how that ties in. Um, that, again, I always heard just wonderful things about Aaron Eisenberg. I loved him on the show. I, I would say that on Deep Space Nine, his character truly has an arc. You know, starts off as uh, just a punk kid and winds up a respected member of Starfleet with, you know, he's in that episode, uh, I think it's Far Beyond the Stars, uh, where he loses his leg in combat. And then we see him uh, recover and experience PTSD and, you know, have that that road to recovery. I mean, this character was, was really something that grew out of the fact, I mean, he's kind of a throwaway character when, when first written. Uh, but because the actor uh, worked so well with the crew, with, with the cast, uh, and the writers really responded to him, they just kept giving him more and more and more, and he became so such a key part of Deep Space Nine. So uh, Aaron Eisenberg certainly will be missed. And also uh, an actor that both Paul and I met, uh, uh, Rene Auberginois, 
uh, yeah. passed away. And I mean, that's I had no idea he was sick. You know, I followed him on Instagram, and he had, he had a very personal Instagram, and you know, shared stuff all the time, but never let on that he was sick. I, I just was was astounded that uh, that he that he was sick and, and that he passed away. Uh, Rene Auberginois has been in everything. You know, I, I, in fact, I was flipping channels yesterday and I saw him in uh, the Patriot, the Mel Gibson film. He was in that. Uh, I, in I forgot. That. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, he's a character actor, and so you know, he, he yeah. kind of, a lot of times those those guys blend in the background. Uh, but you know, he was in uh, Benson. Is that right? Yeah. He uh, he, he was in he was in uh, Boston Legal. Mm-hmm. Currently, uh, you know, he, he was certainly in you know played Odo in Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and you know was a key character in that uh, in that cast. Uh, I was always amazed at what a gentleman he seemed to be and what a kind man he seemed to be and was taken aback it, just in the few minutes that, that Paul and I got to spend with him and, and the other Deep Space Nine actors at uh, Mission New York. I was really taken aback at how kind he was to me. I mean, that's something that, that, I, that has stayed with me uh, from... Uh, from that day, I mean, you know, the, the picture that that uh, we we took with them, mm-hmm. his hand is on my shoulder. Um, Armin Shimmerman shook our hand. I, I just, I, I, I am, I am, I, I feel a, a real loss about Rene Bourgeois, and I only spent that tiny amount of time with him, you know. Uh, but he he seemed like such a kind man, such a talented uh, uh, actor. In fact, when I was uh, reading up on him to make sure I captured some of his credits correctly, I saw that he did audiobook narration, which I never knew. And so I went out to my Audible account and I started looking to see what he what he'd uh, read and did a lot of these uh, Pendergast novels. Uh, and so I, I downloaded one last night and started it. It's fantastic. I, I love having Renee in my ear. Yeah, I mean that entire cast was just very kind and pleasant when we met them, and yeah, that's a big loss. I mean, it was it was a big year of loss for Star Trek. Yeah, and you know, uh, unfortunately, or, or perhaps fortunately, another thing that uh, that we can kind of put to rest in 2019 is Aaron's Mission Crate subscription. <laughs> well, you know, it, here here it is the Christmas holidays. It's it's a time of of magic and miracles, Paul. And uh, I I went out. I guess it was Christmas Eve. I think that's right. Or no, maybe it was the twenty sixth. It's the day after Christmas. Walked out onto my front porch, and there is a mission crate sitting there, right at my doorstep. And I was stunned. I had no idea that this was still a thing. You know, we <laughs> on, our, on our other podcast we talked about uh, how Loot Crate had gone bankrupt, and then you know somebody came and and you know saved them. But honestly, I didn't think it was still a th- still a thing anymore i'm guessing that this is one of those long overdue ones kind of thing yeah i gotta go and see i mean i know that i i think i paid for four maybe five uh and this was certainly the the one that i got on the 26 was certainly the the fourth one um opened it up and it it was a much lighter crate than uh previously uh received um you know the the other crates were really sort of just jam-packed with stuff and this had a T-shirt in it, and it was it's a a, a gold T-shirt with the uh, uh, Enterprise from the motion picture. You know the the the, the one that would eventually become seventeen oh one A. It's my favorite design. Nice uh, nice image of, of the. It's a kind of sort of a blueprint schematic of it. Um, it had a uh, one of those eagle. 
what seems like an Eagle Moss uh, um, NCC 1701A uh, Starship Enterprise uh, diecast figures, right? So it's a you know, little little size sh- little ship, um, you know, that goes nicely on your desk. Um, and then there was there was a, ba- a pin, a uh, an enamel uh, pin of the same ship, and there was a set of coasters, uh, paper coasters of the uh, uh, Constitution class hull section. Was so, there a theme to this specific box? It just seems like a kind of random sh- stuff. It seems like the theme was the NCC seventeen oh one A Enterprise. That's ah, what the. Th- okay. But but I will say. In previous mission crates, they gave you a document that told that sort of explained everything in the crate. That was absent. There was no there was no <laughs> document, no letter, nothing, no communication from Loot Crate uh, about the contents of the box. They're like, here, take your crap, leave us alone. Yeah, I mean, it just it just sort of was like, hey, we owe you this. Here you go, you know. So I, I was I was I was surprised by that. I was happy to get it. I think I like most of the things in the crate. Uh, and then yesterday I go to the front porch and there's what on my on my porch is another mission crate, Paul. Oh. <laughs> we hadn't discussed this. You got yeah. another mission another, crate. Another a second mission crate. And I'm like, did they send the same thing twice? And it's been raining here and the the mailman rang the doorbell and so I, I went to the door and the, the mailman had left it on the porch. Uh so it hadn't been sitting out in the rain, but clearly the the box got soaked in the uh, mailman's truck. And so I I, I, I I pull the box open, and it won't open up like regular because, I mean, the cardboard is soaked. And, in fact, the items within are wet as well, uh-huh. uh, which, which lovely. <laughs> uh, so another T-shirt, which, uh, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm running through the wash and, you know, we'll dry it. But uh, the it has uh, sort of an L-Cars display on the shirt. Mm-hmm. There is a figure, uh, another spaceship in the uh, in in the box, and it's a it's a design of Starship I'm not familiar with. I think it's you know, like one of those things that you see. In fact, I want to say, God, I don't have it here with me. I'll, I'll put pictures of this with the show notes. <clears throat> but uh, it reminds me of one of the ships that we saw in one of the short treks. That USS Cabot is what it reminds me of. Hmm. Um, and then there was there's one other thing in there. It was like three items in this box. It was really kind of skimpy. Anyway, not not very memorable. And I mean, again, when we started off with these mission crates, they were chock full of stuff. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about those the, those first three mission crates was the figures that we got. You know, you had the war figure. You had the uh, you know which was the Klingon themed box. You had the uh, Jean-Luc Picard as Locutus in the Borg-themed box. You oh, yeah. had You uh-huh. had uh, Seven of Nine from the Voyager box. I mean, so you had these themes and everything in there sort of, you know, tied into that. To your point, it does seem like this is a bunch of random Star Trek stuff. Yeah, kind of like emptying out the warehouse kind of thing. Yeah. And in each of those first three boxes, you had they they sent you a badge, right? And they asked you what your what your preference was. Were you command, were you science, were you ops, you know, what were you? And they would send you a different themed, you know, Starfleet type badge except for the uh Klingon box, you got a Klingon badge. And true, you got you get an enamel pin in the first box that I received, but you didn't get that same kind of level of thought to uh 
to these boxes. And, you know, of course, mm-hmm. I, I do think that, that some of what led Loot Crate uh, down the path to bankruptcy was that they they did some custom deals where, like, hey, make this stuff for our box, and then those things weren't arriving on time, uh, or they became too expensive. And, and that's why we're, you know, we got some stuff that maybe was a little bit cheaper to produce. But anyway, so now I'm five boxes of Mission Crate uh, Star Trek uh, Loot Crate boxes. Okay. All right. So, well, but two su- within two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you'll get another one today. Yeah, you never know. Oh, no, wait, it's Sunday. Maybe you'll get another one tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe. Oof. Yeah. You know, that's a bummer. You know, I mean, not, not, not a bummer that you received your packages, but a, that it just kind of petered out. You know? Yeah. And, and, you know, I, like I said, I mean, no fanfare, no communication in either box from Loot Crate. I mean, you would think they would take that as an opportunity to say, hey, here's what we're doing. You know, these the, the whole Loot Crate mystery box thing died, died as quickly as it, you know, came up. Uh-huh. You know, it was very popular for a very short period of time, but I think most people realized rather quickly, what am I going to do with all this? <laughs> you know, because that's ultimately what happened with me. I'm like, what am I going to do with this stuff? Like, it, it just turns into giveaways or, you know, things like that. IOM geek surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, those last minute gifts for friends who give you something and you're like, oh, I didn't buy them anything here. Have a Here, little cutest can, figure. You can have my killer Tribble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, but I gotta say, I've liked a lot of the stuff. Like I'm, you know, I've got my three, uh, you know, loot crate figures sitting right here on my desk. You know, my Locutus, my Seven of Nine, and my uh, my Wharf. I mean, I, I, they're they're really nicely def- uh, designed figures. Um, I've kept a lot of the stuff out of those crates, and I've certainly given away a lot of stuff out of those crates as well. But you know, because you know, like some of the stuff just isn't too. M- oh, I just remember the third thing that was in that box: a uh, Star Trek themed air freshener for your car. Oh, but yeah, how much vanilla? Aren't something. those boxes like thirty bucks a piece? <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah. Oof. Oh, no, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't mean to make this a very negative podcast. And trust me, that's not our intention. We will try to find the bright, shiny spots in all of our conversations. Um, but, you know, in preparation for, for our year-end Star Trek with Aaron and Polly, I got caught up on uh, this season's short treks. And I will say there's still one more coming, which I didn't realize. There's one more coming in early January. Um, but we're we're five in. To the short trek season uh the three live action ones set within the context of the uh enterprise crew you know featuring appearances uh at least cameos if not fully starring the enterprise crew and then two animated short treks mm-hmm. and aaron i gotta say i am not digging any of these really yeah Oh, my God. Okay. Wow, that's surprising. Oh, okay. We're going to have a difference in opinion. All right. Yeah, talk, we to, are. talk to me. We are. Okay. Now, I, I will say the one that I like the absolute least, but I did find something in it to really like, was The Trouble with Edward, which See, was that's the, one I liked. <laughs> with Bob from Bob's Burgers. Yeah. I, uh, I What bothers me about that, I, 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 dig, I dig the humor in it. Um, but you know, the, this, this, this is telling us the secret origin of the Tribble, right? That, uh, Tribbles were genetically manipulated, uh, by a human scientist 
to make them to, to to make them be born pregnant, and the reason why he did this is he thought they would be a good food food source uh, for a planet experiencing a famine, you know. And you know he augments the DNA of the Tribble with human DNA, his human DNA. And one of the lines that cracks me up is, you know, they said, "Whose DNA did you use?" And he says, "Well, mine." And everyone kind of get gets all grossed out, and he's like, "What? Like Knowles would be better." yeah i I just thought that was that was kind of funny i did not like that episode for one main reason is that one bit of the comedy didn't work for me and that's that the 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 tribal infestation overwhelms the uh the uss cabot and they have to abandon ship the ship then crash lands on a planet and requires that everybody be evacuated from the planet because the tribbles have overtaken that planet i don't understand why they wouldn't have beamed them out into space. Cause they're, you know, you would think, well, they're going to die anyway because we have to abandon ship and the ship's going to crash somewhere. Um, why wouldn't you beam them out into space? Why wouldn't you seal bulkheads? I mean, I just don't understand why, why other steps wouldn't be taken or, you know, why you would have risked them infecting a planet, why you wouldn't have self-destructed the ship. Well, I don't understand. And I that think that goes, that, that kind of plays into my main qualm with this season's short treks, uh-huh. um, which is that they're all throwaway entertainment. Right. Um, it, because they're not, none of them are particularly well written. Um, I disagree, but go okay, ahead. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we're going to, I'm interested. I'm very interested in this conversation. Um, but they all feel like they won't have any. Unlike last season's short treks, it doesn't feel like this season's short treks will have any, you know, um, impact on the larger Star Trek Discovery series. I would agree, largely because you know Discovery is you know however many hundreds of years in the yeah. future, and most everything took place on Enterprise, yeah, or around Enterprise. Um, the second episode, which was. Uh, Spock's like first day on the Enterprise. Yes, thank you. Yeah, questions and answers or Q and A, I think is what it was called. And you know, Spock signs on to Enterprise, and then in the course of signing on to Enterprise, he and Number One get stuck in a turbo lift together and spend the entire time queuing and aing, and then you know, establish a personal bond. And there are things that I found very charming about this episode, but when Number One breaks into song, uh. In the in the turbo lift, and then swear Spock to secrecy after the fact. That that really that that did not ring true to me. I thought it was kind of dumb. Yeah, I was like, what? What? Why is this a a secret? You know, it's not like I mean, she's human. It's not like humans are not known for sometimes singing in the shower or something like that. Like, I don't understand what the big secret there was. Yeah, yeah. But I did. I, I did appreciate the message where. She's talking to Spock about his inner freak, right? And we've all got our inner freak, and you got to know when it's appropriate to let it out and when it's not. And if you want to be a captain, and I know you do, she tells Spock, you got to learn to hide your inner freak. And, you know, he explains to her, he says, I, I am half human, half Vulcan. I've been hiding my inner freak my entire life. And I, I, there, are, there are elements to that episode that I really like. I do enjoy the chemistry between those two actors. Uh, I agree. Yeah. I, 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 I think that there is something really tangible there. 
there are things that I thought that the episode tried to address that's, that exist already in canon, like how Spock is very different in the the pilot episode, The Cage, to the time we see him in Where No Man go, go, Has Gone Before. The, the actor has changed the way he plays the character. And I feel like they tried to address some of that, right? Uh, you know, you know, laughing Vulcans, that makes people concerned, you know. Uh, so I, I I think it was kind of a mixed bag. Uh, I I did not care for the singing portion of the show, but I did like a lot of the other character development that happened. And it, like I said, it, it feels like it explains a great deal about the Spot character. And I'm always happy to see uh, Rebecca Romaine as uh, number one. I just I think she's wonderful in that role. Yeah, I think. And I I, I understand that the the idea of the short treks this season was to expand upon this enterprise cast to, because they became so popular with discovery right. season two. Um, but nothing here. And we're going about, I guess about to talk about the third one, nothing here really cemented. Okay. Yes. I want to see a full episode of what I just saw because none of it felt like full episode worthy. Um, you know, to my point, you know, it became throwaway entertainment. Uh, and I would hope that, and I know, you know, it's seven minutes versus 50, but I just, you know, I, none of them really connected with me. I, I would say out of the three, my favorite was the third one, but ask I not. felt, you yeah, ask not, but I felt it was rather predictable. I kind of yeah. saw where it was going. Yeah. You know, you, the minute they took the, the setup is, is you've got this officer, you know, this cadet in a, uh, uh, in a far off section of the, of the starship, Starbase. I can't. I can't remember where she was. Where she was set, but in, in, in a far off section of wherever her station is, Starbase twenty eight, I believe. Um, the uh, a prisoner is brought. You know, you've got to hold this prisoner. And the minute they take the hood off the prisoner and reveal it to be Captain Pike, you know something's up. They would have been better off putting some anonymous character in that role. Yeah. Right. Uh, but you wouldn't. Then you wouldn't get to spend that kind of time with Christopher Pike and Anson Mount. Who I love. And, you know, you say you don't want to see any more of this, Paul. Uh, I do want to see more of this. I want to see more Anson Mount. I want to see oh, no, more no, no. I mean, Rebecca Romaine. No, no. So let me clarify. I don't know that I would – I don't know that, you know, at the end of these seven-minute episodes, it. I want to see more of that cast, but not based on what was evident in these seven-minute shows. I wouldn't necessarily want any of the stories of these seven-minute shows fleshed out into a full episode. Yeah. Um, you know, whereas I do think with some of the other short tracks, it's like, okay, that was interesting. You know, I felt like, you know, there's, there's more there. I didn't feel like there was more there. Now the cast, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Anson Mount, Rebecca Romaine, um, Ethan Pike, I think. Um, yeah, I, I would very much like to see them again. I just want to see them in something a bit more substantial than the, the types of stories that we got here. Well, you know, I, I didn't know what to think of the animated treks that we were uh, <laughs> that we were going to receive, uh-huh. um, and so when I, I had no no th- no thought on or no bias going in, other than just saying I, I didn't know what to expect. But I enjoyed Ephraim and Dot a great deal, which was essentially Tom and Jerry in Star Trek. Um, you had Ephraim. A humble tardigrade flying through space that encounters the original USS Enterprise and looks for a warm place to uh, leave his eggs. And uh, 
then Dot, who is the auto repair robot, you know, who just keeps things going on the Enterprise, you know, does all the stuff that you don't see the engineering team do, uh, is constantly pushing the tardigrade out of uh, of the Enterprise over the course of the Enterprise's uh, original mission. And what I loved about it was, you know, like there's a scene where the tardigrade overhears a conversation between Kirk and Khan, uh, you know, and then you get to see, you know, the, the ship uh, go through some of it, the animated ship go through some of its episodes where it meets Apollo, where uh, they encounter the Tholians. I mean, so you get all these nifty little things and then it, you see it transform into the uh, motion picture enterprise. And, uh, you know, you see it get, uh, uh, you see it be, you know, shot and eventually self-destruct as it did in Star Trek three. I just thought all of that was a lot of fun at the whole time. You've got this, these little hijinks going on between the tardigrade and the, uh, auto repair bot. I thought it was cute. I did. I did think it was cute and well, anim- and, uh, actually I thought it was very, very well animated. animated. Yeah. Um, you know, the, I love, I, I was concerned about how the animation would look on the enterprise. And I thought they did an excellent job mm-hmm. on animating the ship and animating the characters. Yeah. Uh, to your point, I didn't know what to think of them going in because especially once I saw the preview, I'm like, okay, well, I thought this was going to be a bit more like of an homage to the original Star Trek animated or, or set up for, since we know an animated thing is coming, right. neither of these seemed like they were set up for yeah, an animated show. Right. Um, and yeah, if, these were just these were just shorts. Yeah. And to to my point earlier about the other three episodes, I don't know that either one really instilled confidence that I would want to see more of that. Um, mm-hmm. Especially as we get into the second short track, the the girl who made the stars. I really didn't care for that one. And I, I, I loved it. Did you really? I did. I loved it. I watched it twice. Oh, wow. I was like, no, I feel like this was a waste. I feel like like this was a wasted opportunity to to do something. Of, you know, it, it, so in, in The Girl Who Made the Stars, it's um, Michael Burnham's father, um, the real father, you know, but before Sarek, uh, telling her a bedtime story about, uh, you know, an or I wouldn't call it an, a, a legend, a folk legend. Um, about the girl who made the stars, at, but it does tie into Star Trek loosely in you know that it's about a girl who meets an alien race and that kind of thing. Um, so I mean, I, I thought there were there was some clever touches to it, but I for I, I guess I was hopeful that it would be something relevant, and it really wasn't. I don't know. It, it, for me, that one just did not connect with me at all. I thought it was. I, like, I felt like eh. the, I felt like the re- relevance to it was simply that you know it was a story that Michael's biological father told her when she was a little girl. So it was character development for Michael because it does feel very much in keeping with Michael's character. Yeah. Um, I I thought the animation was beautiful on it. I liked the story. I liked the female empowerment. Uh, I particularly liked the end of it where she becomes a queen. I, I just I, I thought it was really well done, and I thought it was it was a, a, a nice sort of father daughter moment. Uh, mm-hmm. And I you know, I liked it a lot. I don't need any more of it, but I, I liked it. Yeah, like I don't know that I need the adventures of young Michael Burnham as the oh, animated series. No, I don't. You do now. You know, in keeping with uh, Baby Spock and Baby Yoda, you're going to get Baby Burnham. Baby Burnham, um, <laughs> and you know the the. The upcoming short track seems like it's about, about a, a forbidden love in Starfleet Academy. and um, Children of Mars, I think is what it's called. Children of Mars, okay. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know if it's about characters we know. One of them kind of looks like a young Tilly, uh-huh. at least in the in the three-second preview we get. 
Um, right. So I don't know if that's what it's about or, or what. But and I, this one apparently debuts on January 9th. Okay. So, about, you know, two weeks before Picard, we'll have uh, another short trick to talk about. Yeah. Um, but regardless, right now, as we lead into Picard, uh, like it's about less than a month away as of the time of this recording, there is a prequel comic coming out uh, from IDW. That is leading into, I guess, leading into or perhaps set up. Uh, so let me, let me jump back a bit. Before Star Trek, the J.J. series came out, or the J.J. movie came out, there was a prequel comic called Countdown. Uh, and I think it was written by Mike Johnson. I think it very much had the same, um, at least, writer team. Right. Uh, and it, it, it set up... Picard and Nero and the story that we didn't get that was only briefly hinted at in the actual Star Trek movie about the destruction of Romulus um, and how Picard and Nero tried to prevent that from happening and unfortunately failed. Right. And so uh, that that writer team and I'd have to look back and see if it's the entire creative team or if it's just the writer that that con- that continued um, is involved in Picard Countdown, Star Trek Picard Countdown. It's a three issue miniseries from IDW, um, but very much tied into the same storyline, right? It's a, it's a, as we know, leading into Picard, he has I wouldn't say gone into hiding, but he's kind of retired from Starfleet. Uh, you know, he's he's at his vineyard. Um, I have I have some of that Chateau Picard that I got um, that I ordered online sitting downstairs. Um, but he, he he's haunted by the destruction of Romulus and uh, at least preview text would have you believe uh, that that's that's part of the setup for the series. And so th- that that kind of ties into this comic. And I don't know exactly what threads from this will lead into the series because the the, the previews don't seem related. Um, but this is very much about Picard and, and, ver- and specifically about the evacuation of um, one of the planets, uh, one of the colony, the Romulan colonies. Yeah. Well, I do think that those uh, two Romulans that the that issue one opens up with. Mm-hmm. Are Romulans that we're going to get to see in Star Trek Picard? Ah, okay. Uh, I, you know, and there are there is at least one other character in this book other than Picard himself that we're going to see in there, and that is the Commander uh, uh, LaForge. Who? Uh, no, Commander Ruffy Musiker. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because we've seen her in the trailer. The one who calls him so, J- uh, JL. JL, yeah, yeah. So I, uh, you know, we, we know that some of this is going to carry over. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very Star Trek story. Um, this it is there is a very big moral question occurring here. You know, uh, we we join and I'm piecing together from the book. I gather that this is 15 years prior to uh, the Star Trek Picard series, right? And mm. you know, Picard is a, is an admiral. He is you know assigned out here to uh, you know rescue the Romulans before the you know the destruction of of their space occurs. And they go down to this vineyard, uh, you know, which, you know, kind of echoes back to, you know, Picard having a family vineyard um, and finds that, you know, they're getting ready to rescue the 10,000 Romulans who are there, but discover that there are millions of essentially a slave population there on this planet that the Romulans are, oh, no, we're just going to leave them here. They're not really people. And, uh, you know, Picard digs his heels in and he says, no, no, we're, you know, we are, uh, uh, 
we're rescuing all the intelligent life, not just the Romulan intelligent life. And we don't have enough ships, so I need to call back to my ship to get more ships. Now, there is a blonde Romulan in this book, and I spent a lot of a blonde one. Uh, there, there. I spend a lot of time looking. Like, is this Yar? Is this you know? Is this you know the Romulan Tasha Yar that we saw uh, in the in the Next Generation series? It's not. It's a it's a different character altogether. But boy, uh, visual, you know, yeah, visual similarities for sure. Yeah, and well, and I do feel that that you know that is. Hey, let's draw a blonde Romulan here because it'll freak everybody out. That'll let them all know this is a bad person. Because, you know, there's no good blonde Romulans. Uh, anyway, so that was issue one. At the end of issue one, uh, you know, Picard says, I need to call my ship so we can get more ships here. And they said, you're not calling your ship. We're going to put you in this little hole over here. And so, you know, he spends some, some time in, in, in a cell. And uh, meanwhile, his ship, the Verity, which looks like a really large uh, uh, sovereign class uh, ship like the Enterprise E, um, is just waiting, waiting up there in space, waiting. So that was issue one. Paul, what did you think of issue one? Uh, it was okay. I, I, if, if, I would actually say that as we talk, as we get into issue two, I felt issue two was the stronger of the two. Uh-huh. Um, I, I feel like all told, reading all three issues together, I think it would make a very solid episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. To your I point, it's a very I, I, Star Trek story. Yeah, it's a very start. There, there's lots of moral implications here. Mm-hmm. You know, you can you can certainly see some of the uh, problematic aspects of our own past uh, here in uh, you know evidenced on on what is it? Uh, uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the planet. All of a sudden, you uh, yacht beta. Yeah, you yacht beta. Yeah, yeah, it's a great name. Scenic, lovely. You yacht beta. You yacht beta. <laughs> uh-huh. But, uh, you know, you see a lot of that here. And, you know, Picard's that guy. He's not going to, uh, you know, give up on his principles. Um, you know, he believes that these people are worth saving and, and the Romulans uh, uh, do not, except for the two Romulans that we talked about earlier who showed up in the first page of the first issue that I said are going to show up in the TV show uh, are here in force because they are former Tal Shiar operatives mm-hmm. and they, they fell in love. They fell in love, Paul. Forbidden love. Forbidden the forbidden love of the Tal Shiar. And they are also are wanting to help these people because, you know, they've they've turned over a new leaf and they are helping uh, you know, Captain Picard. Meanwhile, the Blondulin <laughs> has uh taken over the Verite and seized control of it. You know, it, it seems doesn't seem like that's something that should happen quite so easily, but it did, and uh, you know, things are looking pretty dicey because you know the uh, the uh, you know stellar destruction is on its way, and uh, the Romulans have control of the Verity. And you know what what's Picard going to do, Paul? I guess we'll find out in issue three. It's a lot to cover in issue three. It is so. Yeah. You know, as much as I I will say, I so far I enjoy the series. It's it's interesting it's a good it, like i said it feels like a good it, it is very appropriate in its feel um as this transition from next generation to what we're going to get in picard one thing kind of threw me off and i i mentioned this in in our in offline in a chat is they mention picard they mentioned in issue one that picard you know something along the lines of you know protected us from the outcast N- Nero or something like that. Uh-huh. They make they make reference to Nero, and 
I was a little bit confused on, and maybe you can refresh my memory because I, I thought that Nero was at this point in time still helping. I thought it was the destruction of Romulus that sent him back in time. Correct. Correct. So yeah, no, I found some of that a little bit confusing as yeah, well. Yeah, it seems uh, because, considering you know, it's written if, by the same guy who wrote both the movie and the comic, it seemed yeah, a little like, the, huh? Hold on. Yeah, the countdown comic in advance of the you know J.J. Abrams track, uh, Nero and Picard were working hand in hand until Romulus blew up, and that's what when pissed Rom- Nero off. That's what sent him back in time. Yeah, because you got to fuck up that spot. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that's I thought that was what happened. Um, yeah. So the fact that they make reference to Nero being a bad guy seemed odd to me. Unless Romulus has already blown up, but I don't think that's the case. But then, what are they evacuating? Well, they're evacuating other planets because you know you yacht Beta. Again, it's not real clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it. it again, you know, the, the, it's a minor nitpick because the feel is right, but right. It, it did take yeah. me out of the moment because I, 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 I honestly, I have expected to see in the comic. Um, Nero and Spock, given the time frame in which it was set. Well, or at least open up the if it does in fact follow the destruction of Romulus, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're you're now evacuating the surrounding uh, systems. Um, shouldn't you have opened up with? And that was the day Romulus died. Yeah. I mean, you know, shouldn't you have opened up with with a big explosion with the Enterprise racing out of the way? I mean. Uh, that seems like a, a better way to you know set yeah. your mark. Well, and Nero, but Instead, again, you know, Nero was never a bad guy in correct. this in in this universe, right? The Prime Universe or whatever. What are we calling this universe? This is uh, well, this is the the the, the Prime Universe. Yeah, the Prime Universe, the right? Yeah. So in the Prime Universe, Nero was never a bad person. It was only in the the Kelvin verse. So it, it's interesting, again, to see reference to Nero being a bad guy, considering they never knew him as a bad guy. As far as they know, he would, had tried to save Romulus. Right. Again, minor nitpick, but given that it's the same writer and given that Picard very much ties into something that was only really explored heavily in the Countdown comic, because it's only, right. you know, it's only briefly mentioned in the, in the J.J. Star Trek movie. Um, it, it just seemed an odd reference. And maybe I just need to reread Countdown um, and rewatch J.J. Trek. And neither of those is a bad thing because I enjoy both of them just to, to kind of refresh my memory because it's been quite a few years. Yeah, no, I agree. Hey, related to uh, Star Trek comics, I recently had a uh, – uh, I, I, I loved the Paramount comics – uh, the, the the Star Trek Paramount comics published by Marvel uh, twenty plus years ago. I don't know if anybody remembers those. They 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 ran for about eighteen issues before they stopped producing. I recall them. Uh, they but had there, some decent were, talent behind them, didn't they? Yeah, they really did. They really did. In fact, uh, uh, Star Trek Early Voyages had, uh, and this is why I'm. Uh, by the way, note this is why I'm including this episode in the feed of Funny Books this week, in addition to the Star uh, Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. Uh, feed because we're talking about comics uh, quite so much in this episode, but a uh, friend of the of the podcast, Dan Abnett, wrote all uh, seventeen issues of Star Trek Early Voyages, huh. 
Uh, and you had you had a lot of uh, of just really talented artists uh, working on it. Um, I have all of those books, and I had been wondering, you know, I, I, they're not available digitally, which is how I really experience my uh, my comics these days. Are they not? Because I know and, IDW did republish them. They did not republish the Paramount comics, ah. or they, they they haven't made them available digitally. Ah, okay. Uh, they've got the other – you know, some of the other Marvel books are available. Like they just reprinted and made available digitally the uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture adaptation. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah, no, I picked it up. Dave Cockrum and, and Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you get that? But uh, I, I was, I've always been disappointed because you know, I, I really enjoyed Star Trek Early Voyages. I really enjoyed the uh, uh, Starfleet Academy book they had. Uh, really good stuff. But again – I really not. I'm really not experiencing comics in single issue form anymore. You couldn't buy that. You can't buy this in trade. You cannot get it digitally unless you're, you know, uh, you know, getting some some kind of you know BitTorrent or something. Uh, if BitTorrent is even still a thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, I discovered a company that will create custom uh, custom made hardcovers. You provide them your comics. They will bind them into a hardcover book and will produce it lovingly with fantastic art, a dust cover, the whole schmear. And I had them do that for early voyages. And, Paul, the book is gorgeous. Yeah, you show, you posted pictures is, on your Instagram, didn't you? Actually, I, I, haven't, I haven't posted them to my Instagram yet. I shared them with ah, you okay. on our DM. But, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the book is just gorgeous i gotta tell you uh he told me he said oh 17 issues is is really kind of a the sweet spot perfect size for this kind of treatment and he is absolutely right you know it's not like one of those big omnibus books that are too big to read this is actual perfect reading size Hmm. and i got the the book is stunning i i i love it and i'm already boxing up my next round i'm sending him uh the Starfleet Academy series to box it to to make nice. Yeah, there's no there's no reason to do this kind of thing if you can get the trade paperback. You know, if you can get the 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 you know uh, hardcover, uh, you know, from your local comic shop. This is strictly for something that you know you can't get anywhere else. And you know, I want to continue to read and and experience these stories. I don't want to have to keep going back to my long box to pull these things out as floppies. Now it can live on my desk. And uh, I can I can experience it all the time because it's also important to note these books aren't worth a damn thing. Yeah, you know, no nobody is is wanting to spend thirty dollars for the first issue of Star Trek Early Voyages. Literally, having looked on eBay recently, you can pick up the the entire run for about twenty bucks. Oh. So the you would never do this to a book that's worth something, right? You do this to something that that's got uh, you know sentimental value to you, something that, that you want to continue experiencing. I'm also pulling together. You know, I, I've decided I'm going to do a number of these. Uh, I'm also pulling together a number of Superman books that are not available digitally, are not available uh, in uh, reprints, uh, but that were special to me because those were some of the first books I ever read. Again, not worth anything except to me. And I want to be able to open those books up and, and experience them uh, more regularly, more frequently than I do. So I, I, the company is called Heroes Rebound. Um, I will put a link in the show notes. I will also put uh, the the artwork from the from the uh, uh, book in the show notes as well. Yeah, that's exciting. I'm looking forward to uh, to, to seeing what more 
um, comes from it. The 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 the, the art because he did post it on Heroes Rebound on Instagram, so you can always yes, check that out. It looks gorgeous. Yeah. It is a gorgeous looking volume. Um, you know, I I don't have a ton of stuff that I love that hasn't been collected in the trade or, you know, at some point. And I was holding on to my Umberto Ramos Crimson comics for the longest time. But Uh now those have been republished by, I think, Boom Studios. But I have a run of horror comics, uh, you know, based on the the properties that I loved growing up, like Halloween and uh, Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. And for a while, those rights bounced between companies. For, you know, they were with Chaos Comics, which you know no longer is in existence. They were with Avatar for a while, and those comics are long out of print. And you know, because of rights, no one really has ever republished that stuff. But I enjoy the hell out of them, so I, I may look into yeah. uh, into getting those collected uh, because I, I, yeah. those are some of the few comics, actual paper comics, that I have held on to all this time. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I the Heroes Rebound. I think the the total cost, and you know, it's not cheap. Uh, and but you get your money's worth. I think it was about eighty dollars to get what I got. Okay. Um, and you know, I will say that it doesn't happen fast. It doesn't happen overnight. I think I waited about six months uh, to get my book, but the wait was worth it. Uh, the the I mean, he they do these guys are artists. You know, they created the the hardcover cover. Um, you know the artwork. What they do is they they take various artwork from the from the series, and then they digitally digitally manipulate it to you know make it wrap around. I mean, it is gorgeous. You'll see it when you see the images. It is gorgeous. Yeah, very I mean, well these, done. And these guys really treated it well. I mean, treated it with respect. Uh, I, I'm 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 marveling at the work they've done here. And I got to tell you. My plan is to get Dan Abnett to autograph this thing. Nice, uh, and so I'm going. I've got to stalk him around the country to, to you know for when he gets here because he's a he's a UK writer, and so I've got to I got to look to see you know when if he's coming to the states for a con so I can uh, go get his autograph because man this book is fantastic. Uh, so actually, I have one more question before we wrap up the sure. show: Do they digitize? Do they scan and digitize? And print it, or do they take the actual comics and? Yeah. They take the actual. These are your actual floppies okay. that they that they manipulate to bind into the. Gotcha. Book. So no, it's the it's the actual comic. Uh, the the scanning and digitization they do is for the pages that they produce. Gotcha. So they produce like you know the inside cover. They they do a title page. They do a an index. You know, so they yeah. create the artwork for all that plus the dust cover. Yeah. It's beautiful stuff. Oh my god, it's gorgeous! I love holding it in my hand. I mean, I just—it is—it is such a grand piece. Uh, I just—I think they just did a marvelous job on. He's it. holding it in his hands right now. Right now, I'm touching it, uh, rubbing creepy. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, on that note, <laughs> we will see you guys in a couple weeks. Um, you know, with like like we mentioned, there is a short treks coming in in just a few weeks, and a few weeks after that, we have the first episode of Star Trek Picard. That's right. Very excited. I can't wait. 2020 is going to be a great big Star Trek mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. uh, in the meantime, you can reach out to us on our social media, IOM Geek on Instagram and Facebook, at Ideology Madness on Twitter, or you can hit us up on the IOM Geek hotline. 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you'll win a coveted, valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You know, something like maybe that killer triple we were talking about. <laughs> exactly. Exactly.
All right, folks, we will catch you next time. Next time. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. When you tell me in.